part two of the Rob Walters of Quattro Development interview. And we're going to start, just jump right in. Rob is going to talk about how he approaches municipalities across the nation. He's going to talk about the types of projects that Quattro seeks out due to population density. He's going to talk about the, the buildings in Chicago and the public improvements that he enjoys. And then Rob's going to end by discussing how people can get into the commercial real estate business and a nonprofit endeavor that he is starting up with a partner uh, in order to facilitate inner city youth and how they can access the commercial real estate industry, which is known to be a difficult industry to break into. So I hope that you enjoy. Thank you. When you go to these local municipalities all over the country, do you approach the local governments? Or do you, are you required in some circumstances to get zoning approvals? Do you just have to introduce yourself and get them on board with your project? Because you might need permits or them to sign off on something. Um, I can see a variety of situations where you're going to need local governmental approval. Do you just walk right up? And as a corollary to that, is there ever, have you ever been stymied by a local municipality that's shut down what you're trying to do? Or have you had any funny interactions yeah. with them? And don't name that municipality because I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> have you banned from some jurisdiction? Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> I think we've always had to get at least a building permit. There's always some layer. There's all kinds of levels of how much uh, involvement the city has. So the most simple has been you draw plans and you submit them and you get a building permit. That's very rare. It's typically going to be smaller towns. Um, What's pretty typical is there'll be a site plan approval of some sort that's kind of making sure you meet all the zoning uh, requirements without variances. That might be uh, a formal thing where you go in front of a, you know, a board or it just might be, hey, you submit, they review. They tell you you're good, you have site plan approval, and at that point you, you go draw your architectural drawings, which you then submit for uh, uh, a building permit. Then you get into these municipalities that um, you know are more. Uh, you're more likely to see in larger cities, the you know higher end ones, typically where they're going to nitpick everything. They have a design review board that's going to tell you they don't like your block. It's got to right. be brick. They don't like your brick. Right. It's got to be you know whatever. Um, so that gets harder. We try to stay away from those municipalities because they just take more time, and you don't necessarily make any more money in them. Um, however, we've dealt with them. We were, we're coming out of a project in suburban Portland, Oregon, uh, not the one I was just talking about, but a ground up project. And it's not the high end community in Portland. And yet um, their zoning code is just incredible. I think they think it's progressive. And I think, you know, if, if you could start from scratch and build everything this way, it would be progressive. But when you're, you know, next to a vacant KFC and a gas station that don't have sidewalks and you have to put in a rain garden and a clock tower, put your buildings on the road, you know, your parking right. has to be in back. You have glass on every side. You have decorative railings. Uh, and it's just it becomes very frustrating. So, you know, that's the type of community we probably won't develop in again because, you know, we ended up spending 
close to a million dollars more than we expected, you know, because of the red tape they put on the thing. And I'm not one of these, oh, government's bad thing, but there's a level of reasonableness. You know, it, it makes sense to want your community to look right and, you know, but then there's this sort of taking it way too far where you're just, nothing's going to get done because of it. Uh, we, a perfect example was in South Suburban Detroit in 2010, which, you know, the, the auto makers are going out of business. Right. Uh, it's Detroit. Like, you know, it was the joke of every person like, you know, oh, it's Detroit. And this wasn't Bloomfield Hills or some, you know, well-off community. And they wanted clock towers and all brick buildings and stuff. And they had a 30% green space requirement. I mean, that's a huge thing for us. If I have to take 30% of my land and basically throw it away in terms of making it productive for parking or rentable space, I have to buy a much bigger site, you know, to do the same thing. So I got to pay a lot more for the land. So, you know, we, we had a very good development with great national retailers that we were going to do that was just killed because of their inability. So we went in in that, in that instance for a variance on the stuff and they said no. And, uh, you know, that's their prerogative, but, you know, and, and that is to sort of tie back in your question. When you do have to get a variance or different things that the process drags out a lot more, there's usually a, uh, you know, city council meeting you have to go through. There's multiple public hearings. I'll never forget on one of my first development deals, we drove down to Tennessee property zoned office. I wanted to do retail. I got up in front of the board and uh, pleaded my case. And the guy goes, son, you must not be from around here. He goes, uh, how many people in here from uh, here to oppose uh, what he this this gentleman is uh, proposing? And like all these people stood up, you know, like <laughs> pitchforks and stuff. And I'm like, okay. The guy's like, there ain't no way in hell we're granting your variance. I was like, okay, well, thank you. It was uh, a beautiful drive down here. Uh, thanks for your time. And I, you know, I left. Right. A waste of time. So yeah, you never oh, know Did you tell him you're from DeKalb? So <laughs> I think that gives us <laughs> some legitimacy. Yeah, I no, I probably made the mistake of saying I was like from Chicago. Right, know, right. Which is not what you want to say uh, when you're in the South, especially... Uh, so long as our hometown president is in effect, it was like people immediately think that, uh, you know, you play basketball with uh, President Obama every day and they, they don't like you because of it. So it's an interesting country. All these challenges. Um, you know, do you, have you ever had a, a project that failed and you, if you had to just sort of pivot and reposition what you're going to do with that project? Um, we have, uh, we have not lost money on a project that we actually purchased. So yeah, and I'm knocking. <laughs> um, that's not to say we haven't gone down the road on a project and spent, you know, into six figures on pre-development costs that we lost because we decided at the end of the day, it wasn't the right thing to do. Um, interestingly, and in most of those scenarios where we pulled the trigger, we could go back now and see what happened to the property and say we would have been better off to move forward. We just, you know, we're being probably more conservative than, or we were being as conservative as we felt we needed to be at the time being. Um, you know, we have a couple properties right now, like pieces of land where I don't know what's going to happen, so I can't really call them successes yet, but we don't have loans on them. There's nobody going to tell us, you know, come take it back from us. So I think 
I'm not concerned about those. I think they're parcels that we bought at the right price. And uh, if I have to hold them for 10, 20 years before the right thing comes along, we're in a position to do that. So I think, you know, leverage, going out and, and, and hoping everything's going to work out with leverage is where you can get in trouble. I think if you're going down the risk spectrum in terms of, you know, hoping you're going to get this tenant or whatever, then you need to be more conservative on how your capital is sourced. Usually, well, good position to be in that you can hold on to those properties. That's fantastic. Um, what trends have you seen in recent years? Um, Pretty broad question. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, on the on the macro, kind of across real estate, um, you know, asset classes, probably the same things that most people have heard. I mean, there's no doubt that there is a push towards urban environments that is uh, not just in Chicago, it's across the country. And it's even in, you know, communities where you wouldn't normally expect it, you know, places like, a, I don't know, in Indianapolis or, you know, even some of these smaller towns will have a little condo development going up downtown or whatever, where I don't get the point as much. It's not like you're commuting right. an hour traffic to go 15 miles like you are here. But that's big, and you know, density I think is 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 key. But where I think people sometimes miss out on density is, you know, you go to the far west suburbs of uh, the Chicagoland area, and I think you're still going to struggle. There's not the density, but you could go to a town like a, a Peoria, Illinois, and there's actually significant density. You know, if you look at a three mile ring around the regional mall or something. So I I don't I think sometimes people think of uh you know densities being only like urban huge cities but it's really like how many people are within x distance of your project and uh right you know you can go to a really wealthy suburb of chicago like you know you go to like a barrington and i'm sure the household incomes make up for the fact that there's actually not that much density because they all live on you know big huge tracts of land right well that's interesting to hear because i mean you read those articles that say that everyone's migrating to urban areas and uh, it's good to hear you say that or it validates that those articles those theories that we're hearing because I know that you've been out there and you're you're looking at it up close and personal the one thing I'd add to that though is just that uh, as retailers um, you know somebody else said this the other day as a CEO of some mall company <clears throat> that um, the thing about when you have growth so it might even be growth back into cities is it, it creates supply um, and there's a lot of supply like you look at multifamily in Chicago yeah, I run down Milwaukee sometimes to the downtown and the amount of cranes and new construction going up is unbelievable you know for, yeah. for primarily multifamily but same thing with you know quick service restaurant options in Chicago there's a gazillion of them where you know if you go to a more stable community like yeah, I think I don't know, Champaign, Illinois, for an example. There might not be huge growth. There might not be huge influxes of people, but there's much less uh, supply, you know, whether it be supply of new multifamily or supply of restaurant options to go to. So we found that a lot of retailers and just real estate operators in those markets do can do very well um, if they do it intelligently. Rob, I'm going to move on. I'm going to ask you what irritates you or frustrates you in your business. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Within reason. Yeah. This, uh, you know, there's the things that, um, 
irritate me that uh, are, you know, interpersonal things and just being frustrated by somebody not communicating something like that. But what's the most challenging to deal with in our business is you're always at the, be at, you're always beholden to your tenant. I mean, they they drive everything and the better tenants have typically longer um, processes for formally approving things. And so it, it's not unlike, it happened today. We have three projects under contract that we were planning on uh, building for a, a fast food restaurant concept. And they'd sent us a lease. And then today we got, uh, we were told that they're gonna wait till 2019 for this market where these projects are at. So, you know, you're already in yeah. significant amount of money and you're not gonna be able to hold off till 2019, so do you go ahead and buy it anyway? Do you, do you back away and lose what you had invested? And you can't be upset with the, the retailers, though. I think a lot of guys I know get upset. I'm not gonna do any business with these people again. It's just part of the, it's part of the game. Right, their business, they made a different decision, decided to go a different route. But that, that's something I see with people who are getting yeah. in the business, is they're like, oh, I got this great deal, uh, you know, I got the, you know, Starbucks and Chipotle and da 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 lined up. And I'm like, okay, do you, you know, sign leases? Uh, no, but you know, they said they're gonna be sending an LOI or something. And I was at a place where I believed that that meant I had, you know, a fully leased deal and, and time after time that something goes wrong and, you know, getting to the point where they're actually committed is a whole different place. So I think you can get yourself in trouble and people will, you know, kind of trusting what their tenants are saying before it's actually inked. And, uh, hey, we're happy to go out and, and trust but with kind of in the back of our head, this might not work out until it's totally done. Yeah, the deal's not closed until it's closed. I mean, we see that in our profession all the time. It's probably a good lesson for all professions. Like, until something is in writing and it's signed and it's done, it's not actually done. I mean, he's... You see that on Shark Tank all the time. Right. Somebody comes on. How many sales do you have? Well, we have uh, verbal agreements for a million dollars in sales. And everyone, all the sharks will back up. You don't actually have those sales. Like the, yeah. Well, Rob, you are a Chicagoan. You have a lot of city pride. What is your favorite building in Chicago? Oh, boy. Um... <laughs> It's kind of funny because we're sitting there looking at the Chicago Board of Trade, and that's yeah, right out of our office we have the, the Board of Trade. It's I love looking at that building. I I love the top of it, the statue. I think it's like the Lord of Grain or yeah, yeah, the God of Grain. Um, I should find that out, considering I look at it every day. I might even say that building, and not just because it's there, but because coming out of college, I really wanted to be a trader. I. When I got deployed to Germany, I read countless books on how to trade and, you know, what options are and futures are and all these different, uh, the math that goes behind them, Black Shoals and all that stuff. So, I mean, that, that was really what I thought I was going to do with my life. And so I, I remember having a uh, interview in the Board of Trade building. It was the last interview before I ended up getting a job in real estate. Um, so I do like, you know, looking at that and kind of thinking of the history of Chicago is this commodities capital and just right. how things have, you know, how the financial industry's kind of grown today to what it is. Uh, I'll go with that. I don't own any properties in the city of Chicago, so I can't like name my own. <laughs> right, right. Well, similarly, I know that you like public investments in 
green space and doing projects that benefit local communities. Um, what's your favorite project that's accessible for the public? I'm going to guess Maggie Daly Park or the 606. Yeah, I mean, those are two that certainly came to my mind right when I was going to... Um answer the question. I mean, Maggie Daly Park is just absolutely gorgeous. The first time I jogged through there, coming back over that bridge to Millennium Park with the uh, skyline, I was just like, this is very well done. Um, but for me, the 606, I mean, it's just, I've been to the High Line in New York a couple times. Uh, the first time I was able to run on it, which is kind of nice. The last couple times, it's just so jammed with people and it's not long right. enough that it's really more like you're in a museum. Um, so it's cool. You know, it, it has a different feel than the 606. The 606 is practical. Um, it, people use it. When you really look at the cost of it, I think, when you if you factor in things like, you know, uh, obesity and what, you know, health can do to drive down uh, health care costs. I think it's an amazing investment. I completely appreciate some of the you know, concerns over it leading to gentrification. And I think that's a conversation to have. But at the same time, I mean, there's all kinds of people who use that trail. I'm up there all the time. Um, I mean, obviously you can't tell who or what somebody lives or what their income level is by looking at them, but there's all varieties of shapes, colors, ages um, on it. And, you know, if you're going to say we're not going to do something nice because we don't want to gentrify an area, I think it's not fair to the people who are concerned, you know, those who might be pushed out. So I don't know how you fix that, but to have an amazing amenity like that where, uh, you know, I can take my kids up there and not have to stop at every stop sign, stop light, and just let them go. I, I look right. forward to someday like running with my daughters in high school when they're in high school on it together and talking. I think that's uh, a phenomenal use of money compared to, you know, other things that you could spend it on. Certainly. Certainly. And sort of talking about different areas of Chicago, you've recently been uh, working to start a charity. I would love it if you take a few minutes to talk about that. Yeah. Um, What's it called? Let's start with that. Sure. So the organization's called Level. It's definitely in its infancy, but it does exist now as an, as an entity. It wasn't really my idea as much as, I guess, some um, conversations that I had with another guy, uh, a guy named Peter Borzak, who I think is one of the co-founders of Pine Tree uh, Real Estate. And a friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. Good, good guy. I've only known him for a year, but just, just a really solid guy. I mean, I, I consider him a, a mentor. I know he'd kind of laugh at that because he likes to say I am, but uh, it, I guess we can be mentors of each other. We have right. a love fest. Um, but anyway, I you know I I've, I care about issues within the city. Um, I, I like to look at all people as being sort of human beings and not, uh, you know, problems, whether it be problems to fix or problems to get rid of. Uh, so I, I think some of the things that I said to him struck a chord. And then he was on a panel uh, discussion where he, he made a comment that we need more uh, diversity within the commercial real estate industry. A, a female before it actually said we need more, you know, females in the industry, which he totally agreed with. And he just went on to say, I think also diversity sort of on a, you know, racial, ethnic level. And he had multiple people come up to him afterwards and really thank him for saying that it was very meaningful because they feel it. I think anybody in our industry 
feels that when you go to an ICSE or whatever the event is, that it would be right. uncomfortable to be a minority in a live setting. So, so these guys were really, one guy said, I, I thank my creator for you saying that. And that led him to think, I, I want to do something about the lack of diversity in the commercial real estate industry. And so we got to talking about it and, and, and my angle and what excited me with it is, um, like you mentioned, I teach a Sunday school class at my church, which has been about a year and it's been interesting. I'm not sure how I got into it other than we had so many high school kids coming into our building um, out at Central Park and Grand and kind of West Humboldt Park, the border of the Austin neighborhood. Um, coming into the building and just not having anything to do, I was like, well, I'll start teaching with a friend of mine. Um, we kind of co-lead it, a uh, guy who grew up in Inglewood. And what bothers me is that I look at these kids, I love them, they're amazing kids. Um, but I have no idea how they would get into the commercial real estate industry. Um, yeah. And I'm kind of slowly explaining what this organization is. But, you know, it's good to have the history of it. Yeah. Even even like I, I've, I've mentored a kid that I, I met in Lawndale when he was nine years old and he's now in college. And I still don't know how I really get him into this industry <clears throat> because it's an industry where, you know, you typically get into through a family member, um, maybe somebody in your fraternity, you know, it's not like you just, Hey, if I check these boxes, I'm going to get into the industry. Right. I mean, it is different than accounting or absolutely being a chemist or doing a variety of other things where there's undergraduate degrees and programs. I mean, by its nature, it's sort of, uh, a connections business. Yeah, it's very so. relational. It's yeah, it's inherently built on you you can get in less on your abilities and more on who you know versus I think there's a lot of industries where your abilities are going to shine more than who you know, although obviously every industry has, you know, who you know has a lot to do with it, but you know, so I would love to be able to tell these kids in my class, you know, if you hadn't got involved in this program and really worked at it, there's a good shot that you could get into this industry and do what I do or some other offshoot of that. So that's kind of the idea for this level is that we would, um, starting in probably high school, um, identify kids. The idea is to be nationwide. So, I mean, I'll yeah. talk about it on a Chicago level, but we're talking to some global national CEOs, some, some of the largest real estate firms that are, that are very interested in, in figuring out this issue. Um, but get them into a program where, um, you know, they might do a job shadowing. They might do a kind of summer, an internship in high school, but just something to introduce them to. Yeah, exposure has yes. got to be critical. Yeah. Where do you learn? How do you even find a tenant or what a building looks like or what right. sort of jobs are even well, available? That's interesting. What kind of jobs are there? I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, you tell a kid uh, I'm a real estate developer and they think of like Donald Trump, right? Well, okay, that's. Uh, an option, I suppose. Um, but there's a lot of developers who don't look like Donald Trump, A. There's a lot of, there's brokers. I'll say you're very different than Donald Trump. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, you know, if, yeah, you say you want to be a real estate broker and they probably maybe think of a, somebody who sells a house, right? I mean, that's what yeah. most people think I do still. Like, I think that's what my parents probably think I do. Um, yeah, and then there's there's a million things. There's civil engineering. There, there's literally the trades that are kind of a, an offshoot of it. There's doing what you do as a lawyer. None of these kids even know that those are all any of an option, you know? Like, I, you ask them, they'll, I'd like to be a business person or something. But, you know, 
the difference between them knowing what a business person, even what I knew being in DeKalb growing up within my situation, even though I didn't come from people in business or real estate is different. I mean, I had a lot to learn, but they have so much to learn. There's, there's, I don't think most of these kids know anybody in the commercial real estate business. So if they get exposed right. and determine this is something for me, it's not. If it is something for them, then the idea would be to have relationships with some of the colleges across the country that have commercial real estate programs, have them bought into um, accepting, you know, obviously with kids who are deserving to be accepted into their programs, into the real estate program. So sort of having a track into the, the, the college program and then throughout college in the summer, hope to have real internship type opportunities for the kids in the program. And then on the back end, you know, if they graduate, um, they'll have an idea, I think, of what is out there. They'll have an idea of what, um, where to go. They'll know some people to call in terms of jobs. And we are getting buy-in from companies um, like CBRE, JLL, that, you know, and hopefully smaller companies too. We, it's been a, a mixture, but that would say, yes, we will hire from, you know, candidates from your organization because we want to see more diversity, We want, but we need qualified candidates. Um, and the idea would be we create those qualified candidates. And so my long-term goal or my personal goal, and it's kind of smaller in, in scope than what this organization is trying to be is some of these kids that I really see bright futures for, if they only had the right opportunity, like out in West Humboldt Park, um, that they could get in to our industry. And, and, and ideally maybe, you know, they go back to that, that, that community and um, are an example of somebody who, what you can do and, and, and the money to spend in the community. Cause there's, there's no retail out there, you know, and who knows what they do. Maybe they develop that neighborhood maybe they, but um, I think that's what we need to fix. Some of the issues in our urban cities is, is opportunities like that. And, and, and like I said, hopefully then they don't just, you know, go off to leave their community behind, but really like reach back and either live there and make changes or at least kind of are uh, open to helping other kids going forward. So th that's the idea behind level. We're just getting started. So I don't have any, you know, kind of statistics or stories about that. Right. Well, I love it. I mean, the first step is just exposure, just helping these kids understand what opportunities are available. And then your second step is experience and getting these kids an internship. And then once they have experience, they're starting to develop some skills, some credentials, a resume. At the same time, they're building those connections. They're starting to get to know people in the industry. I mean, the only way to get to know people in the real estate industry is start take a job, take an internship, start getting to know people. And Lord knows there's enough uh, real estate networking activities out there for a person to fill up all their, their breakfast, lunch and dinner. So, I mean, I think it's great. I love the idea. And I think those are the right general steps to take. Is there any way people can help right now? I know this is at a very uh, fledgling start yeah, to yeah. the process. It's a big endeavor. So, I mean, it's a long road. Yeah, I think we're probably um, a few months out from anything concrete in terms of help. But certainly, if anybody that just registers and is like, that's something I'd be interested in, you know, you feel free to email me and I will keep your name for when the time is right, whether that's you're a real estate owner and you want to hire somebody or you know somebody at your college that would, you know, and your college would be interested or you just would be interested in doing a little presentation someday or a, a shadowing or, you know, whatever. I think uh, I'd love to have a kind of list of people who are interested so that as we go, we know who to start reaching out to. 
Fantastic. And then I hope that we can bring you back on the podcast in a few months, year. Keep us updated on how the podcast or how the charity is going and what kind of progress you've made. Um, I know we're getting a little bit long, but I'd like to ask you one one final question just because I want to ask all of our guests this and sort of see what everyone's answer is. If someone were to give you, let's just a big sum, let's call it $20 million, but you could vary on that if you want and say you have to invest this money in the next four to six months. Um, you're only entitled to get this money if you invest it somehow. You could either do your own development or put your money. So where, where do you think is a good place to put the money right now? And we'll say Rob's not giving financial advice right now as a little disclaimer, but uh, where do you think that you would put it? Yeah, so I mean, I'm a strong believer in um, investing in what you know. So I'm, I, I'm not, that, that's off the bat, pretty much gonna take out investing in industrial properties or the hotels or, really even like apartment buildings and stuff. I mean, I think there's certainly great opportunities in those, but I would take it and I'd put it in the retail realm. Um, as I've talked about before, it, it's hard to find the right, right thing. And this has been a long real estate cycle. So I don't know that you necessarily want to go out and buy. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that with this is me because if you're in a different stage of your life, you just want cash flow, then you know maybe you go buy the most stable thing at a lower return you can buy, right? But um, that's not that's not me. I don't think that'll ever be me. Um, you know, I think I would try to take that the, the the amount of money and be able to buy some of these properties. I think a perfect example is like when I talked about the Ruby Tuesday portfolio or some Bob Evans properties. You know, to take the fact that I have the cash, come in and say. I will buy these in 30 days. You know, here's my price for multiple ones of them. Um, and hopefully use use that as the angle to get in the door and maybe be able to buy, you know, multiple uh, numbers of them at, at some sort of discount to what we're trying to do, which is more one-off and needing, you know, a larger due diligence period because we're trying to get things pre-leased and stuff. So I'd buy, you know, whatever uh, I could find on that, that level of just really well-located properties. Um, so taking that, that Ruby Tuesday example, or, you know, I, I come across uh, like a, I came across a Baker Square recently that I think had a year or two left on its lease is with the five-year option, but great real estate. So, you know, if I just had cash, I would, uh, I'd buy that. I'd take whatever cash flow. If they extended for five more years, fine, I'd accept the cash flow. And then at the end of the day, I think I'd have a great piece of real estate at a reasonable price that I could work on becoming a development because it's well-located. I know there's pent-up demand in that market. So, so buying, you know, uh, as many retail properties and in, in the right places with tenant demand that I could get with $20 million. I think that's uh, where I'd go with it. And $20 million, I think you could, you could, you could do that. If there's a lot more money, you know, you, you might need to do something else. Location, location, location. Yes. <laughs> Always a good philosophy in real estate. Well, Rob, I really want to thank you for your time and for your thoughts today. It's, it's been great. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm uh, excited to uh, get this podcast on my feed, on my phone, and see what other people have to say. Yes, yes. I encourage everyone to subscribe. <laughs> thanks so much for coming in, Rob. All right, thanks. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, or other professional advice. 
No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your own financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solution Center or Shank Annis Tepper Campbell or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the individual capacities of the host and guests. All opinions on this podcast are rendered based on specific facts and under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to for use in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.